Thank you for joining us for our final installment in our George Perez series. My name is Doug Lang, and Mark join Mark Moore joins us again for our last episode in our series. Uh, listen as we dissect the first part of the of Perez's run on Wonder Woman. This is Diana Prince as the gods intended. Our sources for this episode are the first two trade paperbacks of Wonder Woman by George Perez. And I just want to go out with a little bit of a bang for this series and thank Mark again for um, opening up his heart and his fandom and his, you know, everything George, George Perez related to this experience. Um, I want y'all to understand that uh, seeking out his books and reading him is really going to be good for your soul. And I hope I hope you've experienced that throughout this series. And without further ado, I'm not going to stop you from listening to us uh, geek out. So uh, here it is. Have fun. Hey, are you there? I'm here. Okay. Good grief. It's like every different. <laughs> it's like every time is different. God. And we're never we're we're never gonna have the magic of the first episode ever again. It's just never. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. So, <clears throat> I didn't I didn't send an outline with this one because I figured we would just talk about Wonder Woman. Let's just chit chat about her because we love her. We do, we do. The one, the only thing, the only thing that I really, really wanted to talk about because I changed a little bit of like what I would talk about because mm-hmm. um, I feel like I had to keep up with you. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, is that I wanted to talk about Dragon Con from like 2016 when when all of us went and I wanted you to tell your story first because you've been the uh, resident um, Wonder Woman um, authority and much less George Perez fanatic, um, <laughs> like since forever. Right. And, um, then I was going to tell, you know, what I got from that, that thing. Um, Cause I think, I mean, you actually, you actually, if I remember correctly, you actually went and got drawings from him. I and... did. I got a Donna Troy from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell, tell us, tell us. Okay, so yeah, tell us everything about your Dragon Con experience in 2016 with George Perez. So that was my um, probably only my second or that was no, that was my third big convention, but my first Dragon Con. I, I don't remember what what, it, what the convention in Atlanta was called when I was younger but I feel like it had a different name. Um, but I went this time specifically to see George Perez. Um, you know, I knew it would probably be one of the last appearances, even though that's several years ago, you know, his health was already very up and down. And, um, you know, I wanted to, you know, experience the convention. All of our friends were there. It was just so fun. There were so many people from Huntsville there. Um, and I knew I wanted to uh, get a piece of original art from him. Um, I had gotten his signature on several pieces um, 
from the other times I had met him at conventions. I had met him at conventions twice before in Atlanta. And, um, and this time, you know, I was now a grown man with a grown man's income. So I was like, I don't know how much it's going to cost, but I'm going to get a piece of art. And so it wasn't crazy. <laughs> I don't remember how much it was, but it wasn't crazy expensive. It wasn't anything that I bet in my eyes. It was just a, you know, a, a marker sketch that he does. And I was really fortunate because some of his schedule got mixed up at, at Dragon Con that year. And um, so his time window for doing those wasn't as big and it changed a, couple, you know, a time or two. And, um, you know, I was in line early and so I got a picture with him and I got a sketch of Donna Troy, uh, which was what I wanted because she's my favorite. And you know, he gave me a big hug and he's such a, he was just such a warm and friendly person. And um, the first time I met him, I was, I think I was, I was either like 10, I think I was probably about 10 years old, somewhere between 10 and 12 years old, I think. I, I met him at a convention in Atlanta and I saw him first in the lobby of the hotel and walked up to him like, you know, some really cheesy 80s TV commercial and was like, are you Mr. Perez? I mean, all he needed was like a coat to hand to me and say, yeah, kid. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Like the kid that gets the coat from the football player. And it was, it was that type of energy. Uh, but, you know, and even though he's trying to check into the hotel, I'm a kid. I don't know anything about checking into hotels. I don't know anything about giving people their, their personal space and time. I was just completely fanboying. And he was completely gracious and friendly to me, a little kid. And then I met him again uh, as a young adult, um, again in Atlanta, the convention, got some pieces signed by him. And, um, and again, just super gracious. Um, and so, like I said, I was just really fortunate and pleased to have gotten this uh, Donna Troy from him this last time we went. And then we also went to hear him speak um, at a panel. And uh, it was weird because it was, a, to me, it was a small room. It was packed to the gills. And I don't think enough people, you know, I think they could have given him a bigger room and gotten more people in there. I'm not sure if they gave him as much uh, attention and notoriety that he deserved. Um, but a fun little aside was that when we walked into that room, I ran into a friend of mine from college that I had not seen in probably, you know, 20, 25 years. And, and I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm one of the organizers of Dragon Con. I'm in charge of this room. And I'm like, that is so crazy. Um, I've not seen you in decades. And so we chatted and stuff. And, um, and then Ms. Perez came and sat down and, um, told us just all this great detail about his life and decisions that had come about in at the different comic companies and he talked about um you know when dc gave him uh the freedom to redo wonder woman after crisis on infinite earth and um just kind of what what freedom he had to do what he wanted with her and how they pretty much would have given him anything he wanted at that time. He, he, he was, it was at the height of his success. And he was like, this is what I want to work on. And, and uh, then he just kind of walked through lots of just kind of stories of things he liked and didn't like that didn't work, that did work. Um, and so it was neat to get that, that kind of deep, uh, deep you know, information. I wish that um, I recorded it because, you know, because my memory is such garbage. I don't remember all details. Um, but I just remember just being such a great experience and people got to ask really cool questions and um, he was very just frank and honest and 
funny and uh, so it's just again one of my favorite memories overall and then you know you were right there with me so that was fun yeah that was actually that was actually something that um one of the reasons why I wanted to start off with this was because uh number one I knew you were going to remember it differently from me because you have um I mean we're we're completely different people so we're going to be looking for different things and you you I love I love your memory of it because um I never would have thought about the room um in that way I actually enjoyed the fact that it was smaller uh I felt like we were exclusive but there's a reason why I felt like that um and I don't think it's overstating it to say to kind of like give you an idea of like where I'm coming from I grew up um like when we went to church, uh, we had a very, um, I'm not going to say unpopular. There just wasn't a lot of people that were um, Lutherans on base. Mm -hmm. So whenever we went to church, it was in the chapel. We did not get the privilege of the big house. Right, right, yeah. So our congregation was probably, could max out at like 12 or 15 you know, if it was Christmas, we had 16, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So it, and that's like overseas and that kind of thing. So whenever we were in the States or whatever, of course you can go to like a, a church that was, you know, had that catered to your, you know, whatever. And I think, um, you know, those, those environments were, you know, the hundreds, you know, um, but overseas, the congregation size was always really, really super intimate. So, when I go into when 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 I go into this, just kind of keep in mind that the way I felt was it was small, it was intimate, it was like going to church. So so George <laughs> Perez literally literally took us to church. And you're right, you know, it is a matter of perspective because it can be a feeling of exclusivity and intimacy and privacy. Um, as opposed to, you know, feeling marginalized or put aside or uh, less than. So you're right. You can have both perspectives about it. I just know that, you know, some of the, uh, some of the like actors and stuff like that to show up and they get the whole big ballroom. And so it's all these people. And so, you know, that was kind of like my jealousy of wanting him to have all of these people loving on it. But you're right in that it meant that because it was a small room, I was able to ask a question, you know, and uh, yeah. I was so close to people, physically close to people, um, sharing this great moment. So you're right. It, it was very awesome in that regard. But I also I also wanted to speak to your, um, you know, your idea of he probably could have he could have he could have packed the house. Oh, I, absolutely. I really yeah. Yeah. Because. He had been, I mean, you just, you just told a story where, you know, 10, 12 year old Mark, then there was, you know, what, 20 something Mark. And then there was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there was a 40 something Mark. Yeah. Like, you know, there is, there's other people that were just like you that would have been like, I'm there. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm on the spot for that. And they would have, they would have, even if they had heard him say the same things over and over and over again, um, he would have said them in, in his own way again. And um, it would have been just as, you know, vitalizing, uh, just as uh, nutritious. And, and, he, um, and he's such a vibrant speaker too. Um, yes. And, you know, even just 
hearing him say his own name versus hearing how everyone else says it. It's all those little details. Um, oh yeah, you know, and I'm just you're right. I'm I'm the original fanboy, and you know he passed recently, and I am I am so grateful that his last year of life was filled with so much um, adoration and love and respect and um, and that he was able to visit with all of his friends that are creators and he was able to um, see the publication the republication of JLA Avengers and he was able to see the uh, social media posts and of all of his fans loving him because so many people die suddenly and don't get to say their proper goodbyes. And um, so many people who are creatives oftentimes die alone for one reason or another, penniless, alone, et cetera, et cetera. Yet, you know, he always was taken care of. He had, he built a good, secure life for himself. Um, he had um, his wife and caretakers around him uh, managing his, his final days and final months and you know he's just so fortunate so i i am not sad i'm actually happy that that in his last months of life he got to be deeply loved and deeply cared for and he got to visit with his um friends and peers in the comic industry um and you know all of us could be so lucky to have to have an ending like that oh yeah i i i'm I'm of the same mind. In fact, um, I kind of wish that everyone, and I'm, when I say everyone, I mean, you know, everyone uh, could realize what they gave um, <clears throat> to their environment and to the people around them uh, before, before they pass. I mean, yes. if there was, if there was ever a way to go, it, he really, he really set the standard for that, and it's all. I think it was all a surprise to him. I don't think. I don't think he even knew that people were going to go that far. Um, right. There was still. He still had humility, despite oh, yeah. his greatness. He was always hardworking. He was always humble, um, and that's that's a part of what made him loved and special. Because um, you know, I, I I remember seeing the post where they showed him the. Um, the 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 different illustrations that were being done in honor of him from DC and Marvel, and when he saw the first print of the uh, reprint of the JLA Avengers book, you know he's deeply touched, and you know he earned it. He earned this adoration, mm -hmm. and and it's it's you know there'll be a, there'll never be another like him. I just hope with all of my energy that we do find or or there's room made for creators of his caliber uh, that there will be people that will strive to be like him because so many um, artists um, kind of are phoning it in you know you're seeing the complaints about artists that are uh, because we're in the digital age just kind of reusing their art from one piece to another or they are literally tracing human figures from magazines to create their art and that's that's such a cop-out and I'm hoping that uh, that some of, that there will be a new breed of artists that come out that do strive not only to have great attention to detail, but to continually refine and improve their craft. 
because that was part of what made him so great was that, you know, every few years you were seeing leaps and bounds in the level of detail that he was putting into the artwork. And, um, and you know, it, 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 he suffered for it for a while. You know, his, his vision was suffering and he had diabetes. He was, there was all these health issues compounding that, but he, he just continued to work and work and work. And, um, you know, I hope we have a, a new generation of people that will follow in his, in his stead. I think, I think uh, to kind of expand on um, what you just said in terms of like what the job actually does to your health, I feel like, and I'm not saying this disrespectfully or anything like that, because I do want to do an episode about Neil Adams too, but um, in the first episode, I don't know if this was a part that I had to cut out because of um, feedback issues or something, but I do remember talking about Neil Adams and somebody somebody had casually asked him um what's the best thing you can do as a comic book artist and you know that the person was asking what's the best thing you could do as a comic book artist as a penciler to um you know they were asking from a technical standpoint Uh neil adams this was this was like um maybe 10 years ago he immediately starts going into back exercises and I'm i'm sitting there i'm watching this and i'm going like I love that he answered the question like that um, because, you know, people, you know, people, they're always looking for the secret. And, w- and what I mean by secret is the shortcut, you know, mm-hmm. and um, Neil Adams was like, you know, talking about back exercises and health and stretches and yoga and, um, you know, child pose this and downward dog that and Mm -hmm. you know basically i mean he wasn't actually using those words but he was just like you know these are the these are the stretches that will like really keep you healthy and that kind of thing um i mean if you think about the amount of detail and the amount of work that went into um any of his comics because he was doing he was doing titans and uh crisis pretty much side by side um at the same time with marv wolfman so they were either you know, doing that for a year, planning that for years before they actually did it, and then <laughs> doing uh, Titans during the whole entire time. You know, um, that's almost like that's 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 a desk job. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's like really gonna that's gonna wreak havoc on your health. So yeah, you're gonna reach for the quicker food that's gonna give you diabetes. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna you, you're gonna you're gonna reach for the the things that are not really gonna like. Um, you know, be good, healthful choices, but at the same time too, um, you know, the amount of work that he put into what he did is going to, you know, outlive him. And I'm pretty sure he was like, I'll fix it later. I'll do it later. You know, you know, that kind like of thing. Like we all are. Like, you know, exactly. like we all do. Exactly. And, um... and it just, it just kind of like, I mean, he just, it just, it just like blows my mind a little bit because, um, you know, the amount, the amount of detail that he went into, um, is in my mind, in some ways, I really hope people appreciate, I mean, I know you do. Okay. I'm not saying this to like you, (laughs) but I really hope people appreciate the depth. Um, I mean, this guy could pack 12 panels onto a page and they're all completely, absolutely necessary. Uh, other people can put 12 panels onto a page and there six of them will be copies of each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, are, are those, are those necessary? 
you know it's like yeah he, he was such a, he was such a such a storyteller um but he was also very much a graphic designer um mm-hmm. as well as an illustrator and he just he just combined all of that so well um and and that's something again that we don't see as much now you're seeing uh, you know he could do um you know, I think I think one of the things about him that he did so well was the fact that all of his characters were distinct. Um, you know, you could tell one character from another based on their face and their body style, whether they were in or out of costume. Um, and that's just something that you don't get from a lot of artists now. A lot of them, you know, they have a guy's body and a woman's body. And, you know, the woman always has this type of curves and the guy always has these type of muscles and that's all that you get. And whereas with, with Perez, especially uh, deeper, you know, once probably like midway through the Titans, like maybe two, two or three years into the Titans run is when those distinctive things start happening. You really start seeing Wally West being uh, a slim muscular and, that was you know slimmer than than dick grayson's and then of course cyborg being the bulkier and then you're seeing starfire being the much curvier female and then donna being in the middle and then raven being way more slight although but but if you go to the early issues donna and raven both kind of had very very similar body shapes uh mm-hmm. both, both were very curvy um you know narrow waist uh full hips uh, and then Starfire was just like a taller version of that. So, so they started very similar in body styles. And you know, Kid Flash and Dick Grayson, you know, they started out they had the same body. And and Gar Logan's was just like a smaller version of. Uh, and and so as he, he as their personalities developed, his style improved. You started seeing all of those uh, variations, and and that's again him owning his craft so well. And then when it came to storytelling. You know, we talked about in one of the episodes, the issue where uh, Hyperion seduced Donna Troy with his magic and his godlike powers. And it was those frames, those close-ups of her face as she's being enthralled and she's feeling sensual. Um, you know, it was telling a story in these frames as it zoomed in. And that was the other thing too, you know, a lot of his uh, panels were very much like little, little movies, like storyboards almost. So they were mm-hmm. really, he was using scale and, and angles in ways that other artists weren't. And, um, and then when it comes to respecting the physical form and the sexuality that comes with that, you know, a lot of artists got lots of complaints when they would draw women with their backs to the viewer and they're c- contorted in some weird way just to make kind of a, a pinup shot of their butt. And when... Perez would draw a woman from the back. Um, it was she was still powerful and strong. She had to be facing that direction. He's showing just a different perspective, and he's maybe want the villain to to look a certain way in that shot. And you're seeing the hero in a defensive pose, and it's coming just from the back as opposed to I'm just trying to do this this ass shot. Um, it's those little details that really, really just again made him a master. Um, so I'm such a fan. So let's talk about Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. I actually went through and reread um, my first two trades of Wonder Woman, and there are things that 
I feel that I did not notice before, and I'm wondering if it's because of his passing that made me notice them. Um, because I think beforehand, I just kind of like, it's not that I took them for granted. It's just that I was paying attention to other parts of the story. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, <laughs> because there are, like, let's take just for the uh, top you know, off the top, um, Heracles. Um, so the subjugation of Heracles and Hippolyta um, and all of that, actually, actually, that's, that's my first take on that. The, when I reread it again, I realized that um, the focus is actually on the gods. Because uh, it's the gods that actually opens opens up the first issue of uh, mm-hmm. of Wonder Woman, and I never really recall that. In fact, I probably glossed over it a lot more than I thought, and um, it really made me think about what is. Um, let, me, let me try to think of a way to ex- explain this. It, it really it really made me look at the god the goddesses in particular because um, Hermes is the only uh, male deity to contribute to Diana's uh, origin uh, right. Wonder Woman's origin um, the rest are Aphrodite Athena um, I think Demeter was there yeah Demeter and I think Hestia as well and it's really it's really interesting because um, Hera is uh, refuses. Um, Zeus checks out really early, and Ares is interested in the Amazons, um, the role that they play, merely because to him the Amazons are just are, are just another chess piece, mm-hmm. and it was it's all about it's all about. Uh, devotion and where um, your sense of divinity um, comes from, which that comes later. Um, that actually gets fleshed out, and you don't you don't realize it. You're actually thinking, "Oh, this is this is just him explaining. Uh, this is just this is just George explaining why no one believes in Greek gods anymore," and it has absolutely nothing to do with that. And as the uh, as the orig- as the first trade progresses, it gets wrapped up. Like there is nothing that happens in the first issue that is not called back. Um, at least issue three, issue four, all the way down to issue fourteen, and it's unbelievable um, because it's nothing is haphazardly happening. Um, uh, like. In, in point of fact, at the very end of issue one, um, there's a subtle reference to the Cirrus. She actually says, uh, look now upon the standard from which we shall weave that garb, the standard of the warrior for whom you were named, she who died nobly that the Amazon race may, might live. And you think, well, sure, that just means um, Diana, like the huntress, right? Uh-huh. It actually turns out to be Steve Trevor's mom, and that's where right? they get the, that's where they get the nine millimeter from too. Because mm-hmm. here the uh, Amazons are with all these other you know ancient Greek weapons, and then 
here they have like the final test being a nine millimeter. Right. Wow. Okay. So where'd that come from? But you're just thinking, okay, well they, they got it from someplace. You're not even thinking about it, but he explains where the, where that comes from. And, um, and also how the American flag colors came into flying into that. Cause I was like, Oh, thank you. Now this makes sense. Now there is a reasoning behind it that, um, just fits into a puzzle as opposed to whatever it was people were doing before you know <laughs> exactly exactly i think i think it was like a uh you know there's a, there's a part of me that wonders if um and that's not a pun but that that wonders if uh wonder woman when um uh, doctor um is it molten mm-hmm. oh my god the creator yeah. Yeah. Um, if he if he actually based if he actually saw Marvel's or Timely's uh Liberty or uh Miss America and mm-hmm. yeah and I, thought, I never watched like I never watched that movie about him, you know, where it got into his whole affair and his S and M stuff and all that kind of jazz. I should watch that sometime. Yeah, I, I I'm kinda I'm kinda afraid to because I mean I know, right. I, know I, I was I know I know it was based on a book and I know that he came up with a lie detector for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um but there's like a part of me that's like, how much of this is gonna be Hollywood and how much of this is gonna be, you know, history, you know? Right, right. I would I would have preferred a um a uh, documentary, uh, almost. <laughs> but um you know, something else I loved about the origin was how it showed these women that had been brutalized and killed by men and how this, the gods were collecting their souls over time. And, you know, one almost like a cave woman and, and how I think the cave woman was the one that was pregnant. And so um, her baby's soul ended up being Diana's. And I thought that is so neat that it's such a cool way to uh, tie all these women together uh, and their souls from uh, these women who were victimized uh, by men and then now they become this race and how this one leftover soul uh, from that baby ended up being the last one called by Hippolyta because she um, having been resurrected from that mother still had that yearning inside of her, that baby that was never born. And then she prays and it turns out there's this last soul in the well that the gods imbue with power. And that's that was such a cool way to do it. And one of the things that has, you know, been re- some of, some of which has been retained in this new Historia uh, Wonder Woman series that's out now, uh, even though the gods are much weirder in that. Um, but I'd love that some of that came across and, it was also neat that, you know, like that Hermes was, you know, the one guy hanging out, giving some of his powers to, it just made it so much, it, it made me think of how at the beginning of the Man of Steel movie, you had that huge section about Krypton that to me was such a strong foundation of a, of a origin story. To me, what Perez did at the beginning of Wonder Woman with this, uh, with the creation of the Amazon race with these uh, fallen women's souls, um, just was like this great intro to who the Amazons were and gave them, gave made them so much more interesting. Um, and then like you started talking about Heracles and, um, and how he, you know, seduced and drugged Hippolyta. And again, just kind of showed 
the barbaric nature of man um, and how the Amazons have to continue to uh, uh, deal with that. And then how her sister Antiope Enti- 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 um, said, okay, yeah, I'm really kind of, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to go this way and we're going to do something different. And that's how you start getting these other Amazon tribes. It's just, they just, Prez just weave so much more into the Wonder Woman mythology than we had had previously. Um, and just made such good choices, including not having her in high heel boots. <laughs> so yeah that's actually like he made he made so many choices about like i mean he he just interwoved so many different things from the mythology that were there classically and then he he, he didn't even have to retcon anything that's that's right. like yeah. that's a big deal he just actually pulled from myth and he didn't like change myth at all mm-hmm. um but the the one thing that I really that I really found um, almost talking about like the prayer that uh, Hippolyta did, um, she actually and because one one of the things that there are people okay because like gosh where do I start talking about this? Um, so like one one of the things that I remember George Perez talking about at Dragon Con at the uh, panel was his um he did not like the idea how and he used this word he used um that her origin was like nothing more than a golem and Uh and it made that he thinks that that's the reason that's a contributing factor to one of the reasons why people um didn't really have any respect for her as a character that she was just something that was she was a a form of earth and that was just imbued with magical names and you know she was an object okay and so he, he actually uh you know i remember reading recently or, or realizing or a article uh recently where he talked about how he was catholic and um and talking about the the well, this the, the cavern of souls that uh, the goddesses and Hermes um, pulled from to create the Amazons from. Um, it was as if, um, you know, not so much reincarnation or metam, metempsychosis is like a, a feature of Wonder Woman, but it's that everything everything has a place in the universe and it's just waiting to be uh, planted, you know, being, you know, to, for fruit to come from it in some, in some shape, form or fashion. And, um, so every, everything, everything has a purpose. And the, when, when Hippolyta actually, um, forms, uh, the baby in the sand, it's from, like you said, um, his, his contribution is the fact that she had this thing about motherhood and she had that baby there and so it does come from uh something it comes from you know the idea of the soul and and all that and so she's actually uh it actually makes you i don't know it made me like kind of like realize that everyone has a kind of divineness about them whether you know it's it you know unalienable rights or 
you know, whatever, everyone has something that is special and unique about them. They're not like anybody else. They're not like anything else. Everyone is an individual and beautiful and they're, they're, they're their own miracle. Um, and, you know, things like that. It's, it, that, that's what, that's one of the things that her origin story like really said to me. And um, I'm kind of mad that I'm just now kind of seeing that. And <clears throat> because, you know, there's just so many things that kind of go into that idea. But like, even, even at the, even by the end of um, the first 14 issues, you know, Hippolyta is going through her own thing about motherhood. She actually, um, towards the end of this particular book, of this particular collection, the first collection, she actually um, uh, renounces her queen um, status and picks up the motherhood mantle because she feels like she needs to act like a mom, you know? Mm -hmm. And she goes into she goes into this dangerous place that Diana did that that, that Diana followed her. Uh, um, she follows she follows Diana into this really really super dangerous place, and um, goes to rescue her. And she has to deal with her own motherhood issues. And there's the symbolism associated with the vulture, um, and 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 all of that, and everything that that means. Um, the goddess involved with that particular. Uh, manifestation of the vulture um all of that stuff is um Jungian beyond belief and it just it it, it it was it was just amazing because this it's it's simultaneously telling the story of Steve Trevor's uh um experience with his own parents so it's really interesting how Steve Trevor and Hippolyta are both dealing with mother issues and he's telling this story I mean if you want, if you want a really, to kind of like sum up my feelings um, about this particular aspect of that one particular plot, because there's like seven or eight different plots in this, is that that the whole motherhood thing is like a really good class on the divine uh, the divine uh womanhood you know not matriarchy but it's just it's so it's so with all the things that a woman can be yeah and it was just it was just like a really amazing that he uh that he put all that in there because it's unprecedented wonder woman never had any of that well, and you know, he's always had this deep respect for women you know you if you can see when he talks about his wife and you can see it in all of his characters um how he just really just has this great respect and he brings that about and um and Wonder Woman was the perfect vehicle for him to really kind of go you know all all in on that and really add a lot more depth and complexity to um to who she was in the rest of the DC universe oh yeah and then you know talking about you know when when I got done reading this the the, the first one in particular, I kind of got mad about how the movie was done. And I wasn't mad about the movie before. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, because I was like, you know, the, the whole Aries thing, there's mm -hmm. this scene where that was a letdown, yeah. <laughs> that was that yeah, that was that was that was that was a huge letdown because I really did expect um the Aries and I, I knew this, um, but I guess 
I guess I guess the George Perez issues that I had been exposed to were like in the dollar bin. And, you know, if there were if there were issues that were uh, of any real importance, those were the ones that were like behind the counter and they were always like 50, you know, 20 mm-hmm. bucks, something like that. So you really can't com- complete it, a, a real Wonder Woman collection. And um, so I'm actually able to read how everything was intended to unfold now um, because of these uh, these trade paperbacks. And um, one of the things, and I'm not really giving anything away by saying this, because I really want everyone to go out and get um, every single George Perez Wonder Woman trade, um, is, is the fact that Ares has a completely balanced approach as a consequence of a competition that Wonder Woman has with him. And it's, there's this, there's this beautiful line. I'm trying to find it right now as we speak. There's this beautiful line where um, Ares is basically saying that there is a difference between destruction and oblivion and the balance needs to be restored. And this this issue was being done in between um, this uh, during not in between, but during the time of the nuclear missile uh, crisis in the late 80s between the Soviet Union and uh, the United States. And it, it, it you know, the way George Perez uses Aries, he uses Aries to protest, you know. Because Ares needs war, but he doesn't need dist- complete destruction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was like it was like wow, wow. So Ares' whole planet. Uh, I'm sorry, Ares. Ares' whole plan is basically to get rid of the idea that human beings need to annihilate each other. Mm-hmm. So the god of war is using war to get rid of to to bring about peace, mm-hmm. and it was just like. But it w- but without Wonder Woman's, um, you know, conversation with him uh, or or conflict with him, uh, uh, he almost forgot that part of his plan. You know what I'm saying? Like he, it was just it was just really it was just really interesting. It it kind of brings back to mind that um, the reason why uh, we have patriarchs in the Bible is because these these are human beings that. Uh, tested, you know, divine providence and called shenanigans on some bullshit. And <laughs> it really, it really makes, it really makes Diana, uh, you know, it really gives her, she's, she's three-dimensional um, and, and all that. And, you know, going back to, you know, human beings that um, are ticked about how they were the pawns of the gods, uh, Heracles, um, uh, he gets he gets um, redeemed towards the end as well, which I had never seen that before. Um, from uh, John Burns run on Wonder Woman, um, and I haven't finished reading Grant Morrison's uh, Earth One Wonder Woman series. It may be in there, although I don't think so. I haven't finished reading that either. I think I've only gotten. Are there three of those out now? I, I think I think all three of them are out. So it, it it's complete. 
So, you know, we could, in theory, go out and, you know, read it and be done um, with that. But um, I think I like the art a lot. And I don't know if I'm a big fan of the Earth One concept in general. Yeah, it's it's it, it's kind of weird. It's like, I like reading kind of these origin stories and these hardbacks. They're kind of elf world like But at the end of the day, I really wish these creators, these, these top-notch creators would spend some time in the main continuity and just say, let's create a great arc or two or, you know, um, for these creators that, that is in continuity. Like, because I think it's a little bit easier to say, we'll go off in your sandbox and just do whatever you want um, than to say, okay, we still have this end goal that we need to have happen uh, for the for the continuation of the character and what can you do that's creative in that without destroying the character is killing unnecessary amounts of people, et cetera. Cause you know, like for example, um, one of the books that's being out now is the, uh, that's being put out now is the human target, I think. And in it, ice, who's like a pretty chill superhero, uh, doesn't get used much, kills her ex-boyfriend Guy Gardner, one of the green lanterns, um, in a kind of a haphazard way because she's having sex with the human torch. And, and I'm like, ma'am, you know, was that necessary? <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's so much. And I'm just like, why do y'all do this? You know, and it's, and I have no issue with death. I mean, if anything, I'm, I kind of like violence in, in media, but um, it just needs to make sense. And, you know, ice, ice's personality was never, that and I thought why are y'all doing this this is so weird um and and so that yes that's that's a different conversation just my whole frustration with with how uh these these great writers and artists are always doing these uh elseworld black label etc all these out of continuity books and then the books that are in continuity aren't as good and I'm like, ah, oh, just, it's just frustrating. I, I, I want them to be as good. I want them to be as well-crafted and move the character forward. Um, and they just don't seem to, they, the, the, the companies can't seem to get it right. And it's just really frustrating. And DC is particularly bad at it. I, although I do read more DC and maybe that's why it stands out the most. Um, but it's just really, you know, like Hickman can go over at Marvel and redo the X-Men uh, with a couple specials and then set it on a path forward, but then you, but then it, it falls off the off the off the rails when I think too many cooks get in the kitchen. Um, so I just wish that and you know and DC is now doing yet another crisis. We're at dark crisis now, and um, I just kind of go, can't we just get back to a, a healthy status quo and just write good stories? Uh, the last. See, I- I don't think I don't think that that's off topic at all. I think, I, in fact, in fact, that's kind of like where I was going, and I'm kind of, I well, I mean, I I didn't realize it, but you really you really fed into what I was kind of getting at because it really you th- th- there there are things in these two in these first two books that I don't think they would I don't think edit, DC editorial would ever let happen again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I you're think, right. You're right. I think I think it would I think these first two books would end up being like a black label. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and you know, um, they're not they're not traditional superhero books. 
she spends all this time, you know, dealing with gods and stuff to start. Um, I still remember that one that one god that was like a whole bunch of snakes in his beard or hair or whatever, and and I think did she cut his head off, you know, with her tear, yeah. you know, and so yeah. it was like a really weird violence that I remember thinking, what the hell? Um, yeah. And then he was pulling out these kind of obscure Greek gods too, to make things to, to move the story forward. Um, and it was quite some time before she actually made it to um, here. I'm now in man's world, and I'm going to integrate into society, and you know, live with uh, Julian and uh, what was the kid? Was Julia the mom or the Julia was the mom, right? Yes. Uh, and then you know, live with her and her daughter, and. And there was, and then you had the mystery. There were so many other things that happened that that came out of it once she came to Man's World, um, and she had this beautiful naivete about her um, that people wouldn't take the. I don't think the, the comic companies, as you said, would take the time and have the patience to let all of that unfold. Um, and and it it was just really great. And, and out of that, you get great stories with uh, the Silver Swan and uh, Dr. Psycho and you, Cheetah gets a, a, you know, a great deeper origin and has, and even is sympathetic and part of it. And um, you, you get, you get this great character that leads up to the Wonder Woman that killed um, Maxwell Lord Um and it makes sense, you know. Yeah. I, I, you know, because people are still messed up about that. I think, and so. <laughs> but it could be better. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Which is why that movie didn't work. Because I was like, oh, Maxwell Lord's not—he's not bad enough. He needs to be bad. Yeah. Um, he was just kind of misguided or problematic, but he wasn't nearly as, or or maybe his badness was influenced by the by the, the magic. I don't know. It just wasn't the same as the Maxwell Lords we had in the comic book. Um, that was no. truly, truly bad. You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. It was it, that like, it, 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 I mean, I think, I think that, I think that George did uh, such wonderful things and I cannot believe that number one editorial uh, let him do any of this right. um, because they really let they really let him have free reign, free free reign of the place. I remember in uh, twenty sixteen at at the panel, he got really frustrated um, when talking about um, his br- very brief stint on Superman for New Fifty Two. Yeah, I remember remember seeing um, um, his uh, Superman on the newsstand like at books million or something and i picked it up and i was looking at it and i was going this looks exactly like what he did you know years and years and years ago which is not problem you know but i was like i don't think any i don't think any of the kids or much less the fanboys now that, that have been used to a different form of storytelling would would sit for this and right yeah yeah. And I was like, I was like, I was like, I'm, I, at first, at first I was like, I hope this lasts, you know, because I can't, I can't wait to see where this goes. But at the same time too, I was like, I give it, I give it, you know, 50, 50 shot that editorial will let him have as much free reign as he did before. 
And sure enough, um, I think he was out um, before the solicitations for like the fourth issue. Um, I, I, I feel like he might have made it six. I don't know. It was, but he's talked about that—the fact that they kept changing the direction of what they wanted Superman to be, and so he would have to go back in and change things. And it, that's why it was just so disjointed. It probably made it not a good, not as good of a read. And then yeah. when you, and then you know, new audiences would look at it and and couldn't enjoy. I think the the complexity of the artwork and the deep, the, uh, more robust storytelling. Because they were so used to just a bunch of splash pages, uh, a page with nine panels, and and then you're done. You know, so little dialogue, all that kind of stuff, all the things that modern comics to me um, suffer with. Um, and then you, it, which was sad because the New Fifty Two did try some new things that I liked in Superman. For example, the the issues over in. Uh, Superman where he started out in like the jeans and the t-shirt kind of with the cape kind of thing and he was very much like a uh, more like a, a neighborhood kind of hero uh, taking care of the people in, in the apartment that he lived in and you know I liked that kind of grittier before the costume the fancy costume comes Superman uh, it made an interesting story and it's something that they hadn't done before um, so I liked that and then you got the contrast of over in action and then you had Supergirl you know, just really, even though they brought her back and I didn't love that, but at least they made her characterization really different. Um, and I thought that was some, some fun choices. Um, but, but overall, the new 52 was so crazy because Dan Didio did, didn't like second generation heroes. So anything that was Titans level just really got stiff. So you had people that didn't exist. Uh, you had people that were drastically changed. You know, like uh, uh, you know, Donna Troy didn't exist, and then then Wonder Girl, uh, Cassie, uh, was greatly changed, and now she's like I don't know, she's she's now a descendant of she's like a daughter of Zeus or a granddaughter of Zeus now. She's she's Zeus's granddaughter now, uh, but for a while she was just some girl that had gotten some powers through something. It just they just kind of went all over the place. You know, Robin had wings for a minute. I'm like, why does Robin have wings? I feel like I'm watching oh Battle of the Planets now. You know, it just was all these weird choices. <laughs> and, and, was, and, and and remember, uh, Beast Boy was red. Why the hell is Beast Boy red? What what who who thought this was a good idea? Um, and I just thought, I don't know. You wanted to redo everything so that readers could come in and just hit the ground running. Um, and I'm just kind of like, you kind of negate the 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 opportunity for readers to come in and then want to go buy backup issues is what you lose. It, to me, yeah. it's, to me it's, it, it was not a good business or creative decision. Um, that, and it, that actually, that you said you nailed it like right there because I would go back and go, okay, well, if this is the case, then maybe I could go back and like read some of these other things that I know that happened that I actually mm -hmm. enjoyed. And because yep. that's what that that's what happened with me with Titans. I would go, I would see, I would see what was going on, and, and then I'd be like, okay, well, maybe I should just go back and read the originals, because mm -hmm. I don't know if this, like, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know where this comes from. And, and that was me with X Men. You know, my first X Men comic that I bought had Rogue in it. It was like when Rogue was just coming to the mansion um, to be a student, and so. Then I was like, well, let me go back a few more issues. Oh, this is Rogue as a, as a villain. Okay, this is interesting. Let me go back some more and see, you know, I love this Kitty Pryde character. Let's go back and sniff her out. 
And then finally I said, okay, let me just go back to, you know, uh, all new X-Men and just then move forward and eventually connect the dots. And that just made, that's part of collecting. That's part of the joy of, yes. uh, of it. The, the hunt that you get that, you know, is anybody, is anybody going to pick up Batman today and say, oh, well, I've got to go back and get that Snyder uh, Capullo, you know, years of, of Batman. I, I hope so, because those were great. The Court of Owls, that was some great runs, but I don't know if, if they keep rebooting them and starting at one, there's nothing that makes you say, I need to get the issues before this. And if they, if, if they don't pay attention to continuity, what's going to make you say, oh, I really want to go back and I heard this arc was really good. Let me go back and find it or read it or get a trade or whatever, however you want to do it. But what's that push to do that? So that's why when people do ask me about comics, I say, like they say, what Wonder Woman should I read? I go, read the Perez run, read the Jimenez run, read the Gail Simone run. And then there's one more. Um, is it Morrison that I liked? No. What's the one? It was very political. Um, political. Which, yeah, the creator, he he definitely has a very political bent to his writing. Um, I can't remember his name, but there was another, well, Rucka, Greg Rucka. Um, Greg Rucka's run was really good. Um, so I can say, go back and read these. The rest of them, you know, it doesn't even matter. You know, <laughs> so, and it would be nice. And, and the sad part too is that when they have a great run, that when it's over, it's like they didn't give any thought to who was going to come after. Instead, they should be saying, okay, this run is going to run, this artist or, or writing artist writer team is going to produce for three years. And I, I don't think they ever say what's going to come after that that's going to be equally as good or improve and move the, the, um, the, the property, to, you know, elevate the property. Um, and that's, that's why I always had this letdown of like, oh, that was great. And then the next few issues like, oh, this is crap. I'm going to stop buying it for a while because it's really crap. And then I got so excited a few years ago when um, uh, I think it's Tomeko. Tome I can't remember the name. It's someone who has done some work on Batman and was going to come and write Wonder Woman. And they had a great artist. And I can't remember that artist's name. And they literally did. They made such a big deal like, here's the new team. And I think the artist was on for two, maybe three issues. The oh writer stayed on. The writer stayed on, but I wasn't. It, it wasn't as interesting. But that art, I was like, "This is great! Oh, it looks so good!" And it was gone after literally two or three issues. And I was like, "What the hell?" And I kept buying it, thinking, "Well, it must just be a fill-in. Maybe they couldn't keep up. They're going to come back." Not only did they never come back, I would go to their Twitter, and there was just it was just like crickets. It was like, "What government secrets? What what's going on? Who did you hurt?" Because. <laughs> <laughs> we we all thought you were going to be the next big thing for one one, and you're gone. You know, I I think the artist is now doing. Is it the artist that's doing Nightwing now? Maybe, um, but that's someone else that you know. Was it? Is else. it? Is it Redondo? Maybe. I, I don't. Don't hold me to that. I don't know. But it. Just, okay. But it's it. You no, know, it's not the same artist, but it's a similar style. That's what it is. It makes me think of Nightwing. It's because you know normally I don't go for that super simple style. But these people are these these two particular artists are such good storytellers, and they have such great energy in their art that I'm liking it. Um, you know, because you know me, I'm a Perez, Reyes, Jimenez, um, Grummet, 
uh, that's my thing, you know, high detail, great musculature, uh, fabulous hair kind of artist, uh, kind of, you know, thing. I'm, I'm really loving this new, um, this new artist that did that Titans miniseries. Uh, is it Jorge Luis, I think maybe? Um, oh, I think that's who it is. Uh, I know, and, I know of him from other things, but not from yeah. That. Oh, fuck it, just delicious art, just so so good. Um, and you know, I was I was a big old uh Benet fan. Uh, remember him? Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah, I was such a and, and now you talk about someone who loved to draw some round boobs on women because my first work with him was with um, uh, Birds of Prey, so it was Black Canary. And uh, Huntress, and that was when Huntress had that midriff showing outfit. And I remember someone <laughs> saying, "Why is her midriff showing? That doesn't seem, you know, that seems like it's saying stab me in the stomach." And I'm like, "You're not wrong, but I really, <laughs> but, but I really love this outfit, <laughs> and I love the way he draws her. And I'm just here for Ebenez. That's who it is." Um, and of course, you know, Chris Lawson teases me because I love all the artists whose names in it in is. So it's Perez, Rez, Benez, Jimenez. So um, all these different Spaniards and Hispanics and Latinos are just doing it for me. So because I've, I've, I've been some, <laughs> <laughs> there's something going on there, man. I'm loving it. Um, God. You know, you saying that actually uh, reminds me um, that same article that I was uh, that same interview that I was referring to earlier. They talked about how um, George Perez, uh, when he started out at Marvel, um, he got with John Romita, and um, John Romita gave him some pointers on the whole thing because um, he did not go to art school. He uh-huh. learned to do all of his stuff um, on his own, um, so he has no formal training whatsoever, uh-huh. and. Um, or he had no formal training whatsoever. And um, and then the house style was because of John Romita. And then you either, everything in Marvel either looked like John Romita or the Buscema brothers, uh, right. John and Sal. And so uh, uh, John and Sal, I don't know. I think, I, I don't, I think they come, shit. I don't know. I don't know. I think they, I, I want to say that the, um, they, their family originates from Puerto Rico or Brazil. I don't, I don't know for sure, but um, I know that it, it's Hispanic and mm-hmm. I follow John Buscema's um, uh, page on, on Facebook and you'll see like all kinds of stuff about how he approached uh, anatomy and drawing and things like that. And um, when you see people talk about John Buscema and George Perez um, and how they all learned at Marvel, there is definitely a kind of group thing that happened at Marvel. Um, and I can see how, because there was a lot of Hispanic artists in the 70s that were at Marvel that um, influenced a lot of uh, how comics are done now leaning towards realism because um they did uh there's so many artists um that were doing adventure strips uh in newspapers um that would there's so many writers actually i should say that would send their stuff um down to south america 
or to Puerto Rico and have them drawn and inked there and then shipped back to the uh, newspapers and things like that. So there's like a whole like a whole thing um, south of the border of um, cartoonists that are not being um, being paid lower page page rates now. Um, and then, uh, there's a whole tradition of comic book, of cartooning and thing. And it all, it all comes from that old school adventure strip stuff. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely something that like people, I wish, I wish there was like some sort of survey or some kind of like, um, you know, um, book or documentary or some kind of documentation done to kind of measure, um, how, the you know hispanic community has like really given their blood sweat and tears to comics um because uh, yes. that would be amazing because i you know that, that that goes that goes right back into what i was saying about uh, george perez and health earlier um um i would i would love to know uh i mean he grew up not doing any formal art training but you don't get to draw like that just by being a fan overnight Right. So like, what was he, what was he studying? What was he reading? Um, I knew, I knew, I know that he loved Avengers and JLA and um, all that, but like, what was his comic book collection like as a kid? Because, you know, his mom obviously, you know, didn't have a problem with him, you know, reading funny books, you know? So, I mean, it was just, there's like, there's like a whole, so there's like there's like a reason why you like uh every single artist with the easy at the end because <laughs> they have it's like ingrained in the culture man um to have that kind of drawing that kind of style because they were you know w- way back when adventure strips they had to be drawn realistically and they were drawn on huge pieces of paper. They weren't drawn on like 11 by 17. Yep. Um, you'll see them on 18 by 24 and you don't think that's, that's much of a difference, but put something that's 18 by 24 and see how much more panels you can get on that page, you know, exactly. how much more information you can get. And then, you know, um, and then no offense to peanuts or anything like that, but the gag strips uh, and peanuts and, you know, the simple style uh, got to start, you know, be more popular in America. And then that's why adventure strips kind of fell to the wayside a little bit. Um, I know that um, in Spain, and I know this is Europe, so this is not really, you know, um, the Western hemisphere, but in Spain, um, they have a thing where uh, the com- comic section is, you know, every single artist has two pages to themselves. So imagine having like, you know, a two page story. Well, that doesn't sound like much, but when you're talking about like 18 by 24 and you got two pages of that, um, that's a lot. So uh, you can do like a whole thing. And the comic, the comic section is like one strip is two pages on a newspaper. Um, if they still do that. Um, but at the time when I was told that that was, that was the case, this, this was probably back in 2002, 2003. And um but anyway, I kind of kind of went off on the deep end there. But I kind of wanted to give. <laughs> I kind of you got me wound up talking about all the ESs at the right, all, right. All the because you know I tend I tend to follow those guys too because I follow them. But I look at them going, "You sons of bitches!" <laughs> you <know? laughs> 
you guys draw all, all those muscles are in the right fucking place and i hate all of you <laughs> you know and it's you, know, oh. you talked about formal training versus not and there's um you know there's a place for both and i think you can be self-trained and then just pick up you know one or two things uh you know pick up a little here or there to refine your craft and be as successful as someone who goes to a school and learns a style and then expands from there. I think it's all about your attitude and what you bring to it. And, and yeah. also the amount of work that you put into perfecting, uh, you know, that's one of my things why, you know, even though I used to love burn, I just felt like John Burns art never evolved. Uh, like, whereas like to me, Perez did, Jim Lee did, you know, those things, those, those arts to me really continue to, grow and change and evolve um i'm trying to look up also the the artist that has um the the new the, the that new as artist that i like the one that the titans group but let me tell yeah. you my twitter my twitter is a whole bunch of mixed matches stuff <laughs> i think that i think that's a feature of twitter man right. i don't think it's i don't think that's a i don't think that's a bug you know we're, we're like I could not show this. I I couldn't show my Twitter to my boss. I can just say that. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, there's other things that like he did with uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah, find that name because I want to. I want to know who that is. Um, but there's other things that he did with Diana too in terms of representation. That um, uh, whether it's religious, whether it's um, uh, what am I talking about? Whether it's like re re religious representation or sexual representation or, um, you know, age, um, you know, he really, and I think, I think also too, we, we need, I, I, I knew this, but I did not really pay attention to it, but the editor that he had, um, yeah, and I think they, I, I, they, made, they made it, they made such a big difference back then to me, the editor did. Yeah, um, they did. Karen Berger. Yes, yes. He talked about her too, you know, uh, what a great influence she was and just, you know. I so wish... I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, because she actually retired um, um, around the time that we started doing the other show. Mm -hmm. And um, right after that, it was like not even a year and black black label was announced. And I feel like how long was she keeping vertigo alive? Because vertigo right. was, well, yeah, vertigo was her thing. And, you know, when you were talking about, um, um, you know, things being in continuity and good stories being outside of continuity and the continuity ones are the ones that are kind of like, you know, just not, they're just not, they're just not right. Um, you know, Karen Berger being assigned to a, a superhero book um, is foreign to me. Um, so that's why I keep forgetting because she's always associated with uh, these horror and these literary uh, comic books that came out of Vertigo. And because I usually only hear about her uh, when Neil uh, Gaiman is talking about her. And, you know, so how much, how much uh, interference was she running on uh, for George uh, letting him do all these different things that he did um and that also makes me think of all, all the uh female editors that were helping chris claremont on uh, x-men yeah and things like that mm -hmm. and it, it was, was like, like simonson i think was one at the time right 
yeah yeah and then um gosh there's, just, there's this one one other editor uh she's writing something now um and of course i never think that this is going to come up a conversation so i don't bother to, re to remember it in time for recording but um gosh i can see your face i can't think of her name that's killing me um but like oh that's oh, <laughs> oh i'm so mad but like you know um with you know talking about talking about adapting wonder woman or at least george perez's wonder woman for film um that that's not easy um he has like in like those first um 14 issues which is like one big story and in the, and in the second trade those are basically nothing more than short stories with plots that are shared and going back to the idea of a um a newspaper strip um adventure strips that kind of thing uh that's how it reads um so it's it's really yeah it's like he really, he really did a lot. I found the artist's name. His name is Jose Luis. Um, and he's amazing. Mm -hmm.